0: Did you know that there are a total of 195 flavors of high chews Now, I know that there's more than what the US provides, but let me just say that when I heard this information or when I read this information at 4am, my small American brain could not comprehend that there is more flavors to be made than the ones that are readily available to us. You know, the 21, 22 flavors. Yeah, I, like, just couldn't comprehend. I was, like, sitting there, like, what? Like, there's, like, fucking cheesecake-flavored high-chews? Like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Because I think high-chews fruity flavors, right? Well, let me just say, the morning I woke up and I decided to look at that shit again, I was humbled, deeply humbled and embarrassed because it wasn't just 195 flavors. It was 195 flavors total globally, so yeah i am embarrassed i am humbled and of course like just it makes sense you know there's so many other opportunities a literally anywhere you know there's so many different fruits there's like durian there's lychee or lychee i don't know how you say that there's guayabas you know i want a guayaba flavored one there's plantains yeah the world is an oyster there's just so many opportunities and yeah, i neglected that entirely so what the fuck does that have to do with crime candy crime can there be a connection well i'm here to tell you that yes there is a connection and we're actually taking a look at one of japan's most infamous mysteries that has yet to be solved to this day we are talking about the monster with 21 faces aka the glico morinaga incident i'm your host alex and you are listening to the third episode of crime Jeans. Now, before we begin, I would like to say that the information that I am about to cover may not be entirely accurate to what the Japanese reports state word for word. If anything, we are essentially taking a look at an extended interpretation about the events that transpired. In other words, there are going to be a lot of holes in this story, and I am going to point them out because I myself have a lot of questions, especially when it comes to the context of the entirety of this case, especially when we are looking at the theories. So... I just wanted to let you know before we really get into this. With that said, we are talking about extortion, a little bit of blackmail, some undercover, um, double-sided type of situations, cyanide poisoning. So naturally, listener discretion is advised. I want you to take a moment and picture this. Follow what I'm saying, all right? You're the head of one of the most successful Japanese kitty manufacturers, all right? Everybody knows you. Everybody respects you. And absolutely everyone, like, knows that you're like el jefe, all right? You are el patrón, the head honcho, right? You walk in the room, everybody bows, everyone looks at you with admiration, respect, maybe a little fear, I don't know, I'll leave that up to your fanfic, all right? Pero, what I do want to emphasize is that you got your life together, all right? You're making good money, you can afford to take a break, take a vacation, pay your debts, your family's debts, pay for illness, That kind of sounds fucked up. Let me backtrack. You can pay for medical bills, right? Maybe you can afford to send your kids to college, overseas. I don't know. You can judge it up as much as you want. But you're successful, you know? You are that bitch, as some would say. You are the girl boss of the century, right? And naturally, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. There's ups, there's downs, and you know what they say. More money, more problems, right? Well... Let's just say that's the case, you know? You're stressed. Maybe it's family issues, marital issues. Maybe the company, you know, there's some layoffs coming up in the spring, the summer, whatever you want to, I don't know, that's up to you. Maybe there's a lawsuit on your hands, you know? Maybe you have some disgruntled employees that are coming after you, you know, spreading rumors, all that good stuff, all right? So you're stressed, you know? And most people, when they're stressed, they turn to sex, drugs, alcohol, um... Marathons, apparently, shopping, you know, those are all really good vices. They're choices. I'm not going to say if they're good or bad choices, but they're choices nonetheless. But let's say that you want to go to your Osaka house and just chill, take a nice relaxing bath, all right? No one's going to fault you for that. It's probably the most inexpensive of all of the choices that I listed, you know? And let's say you do that, all right? You come home ready to take a bath, right? Maybe you set the lighting maybe you dim the lights you know maybe you light a candle maybe put on some music i would do amy winehouse but that's just me maybe put some epsom salt you know some essential oil in the bath a bath bomb i don't know maybe you're putting on some aromas all that good stuff right you have it all set right so you put your toe in you dip your toe your foot you're like all right the temp's good so then you submerge yourself, you know, and instantly you get that little sting, you know, of the warm water, but then it kind of dies down and then you submerge yourself, you know, and you're sitting there letting your mind wander. You're unwinding, letting your body relax, your muscles relax, and then you close your eyes, right? That's the best part. When you get to just close your eyes, disassociate a little bit and just relax, you know, perfect. Absolute bliss, Well, let me tell you, you're about to get kidnapped, you know, by two dudes who have some weapons on them. They're hooded, you can't see them, and all of a sudden, they're dragging your ass butt naked, and you get kidnapped, All right. And let me just say, (laughs) terrible way to relax, no? Well, let me just say, this actually did happen to someone, and his name is Katushisa Izaki, the head of the Japanese candy manufacturer Izaki Glico. I don't know about you but I personally have thought about this scenario before because that's just how my mind works all right I'll be thinking like oh my god what if a home invasion happens and I'm just here showering what am I gonna do what do I have available how fast can I put my clothes on you know what if there's an earthquake you know what if there's a shooting outside what am I gonna do you know am I prepared mentally prepared physically prepared that's just the norm for me though it's not just you know extended to the shower this is just my general thoughts in life In every situation. So, yeah, maybe that's not you and that's completely fine. I'm just sharing a little tidbit of information about me and how I work. But Mr. Izaki Glico was not expecting this. All right. He was genuinely shook. He was surprised. And I mean, I think anybody would really like, even if you prepare yourself, you know, like me, you're mentally preparing yourself. Maybe you run a simulation, you know, if you're that. what's the word (laughs) committed and yeah I don't think there's any scenario that could probably like properly prepare you for the exact outcome of this spontaneous thing that occurs and let me just say like he was scared you know and I think all of us would be you know it's not something you would expect it's not something you can like is it properly prepare for so of course Mr. Izaki was no exception so the following day a ransom note came through demanding that Izaki's company, Glico, hand over 1 billion yen, which is approximately over 7 million US dollars and 100 kilograms of gold to be dropped off at a specific phone booth. Now, here's the thing. When this ransom was put through, obviously they had Izaki and Izaki was meant to be, you know, the the point of exchange, you know, life for money. You know, it's pretty typical stuff. There's nothing truly super... I don't say alarming the whole thing's alarming but it's following a script so to speak you know and I don't know about you but personally when I think of rich people getting kidnapped I typically think of one of two scenarios the first one being for money you know um what's it called ransom or just something personal you know vengeance and all that good stuff so of course in this particular situation it is the former now approximately two days after he was kidnapped and two days after the uh, ransom note came through he actually escaped Mr. Izaki was able to escape his kidnappers now the details of how this occurred are a little bit sensationalized because there is no one really within this time frame that can confirm exactly how this went down except for Mr. Izaki himself so again they're kind of dramatized a little bit we're not 100 sure but i'm still gonna share that with you you make whatever you want of it all right so before dawn a boundizaki breaks free from his ropes how we don't know but he just does all right and as soon as he breaks free from his ropes he gets up and he's like around you know we're not sure if he was like blinded or he had like a sack over his head or anything like that we don't know any of those details but He gets up he looks around the room sees that there is a door he charges towards the door he tries to open it it's locked so then he breaks down the door how he breaks down the door I'm not sure but he manages to do so and he books it and as soon as he's running away he realizes that he was actually being kept in an isolated warehouse and of course he keeps running 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 until he runs into two railroad employees who are able to contact the police. Now If you're anything like me you're probably wondering at this point like was he still naked because that was such a pivotal point you know in the story that he was naked and the answer is no whoever kidnapped him actually managed to put clothes on him at some point we're not sure at what point what day what hour but they put clothes on him whether that was for his benefit or their benefit is still unclear or if they just had a good heart or um what's another reason they would do that you know maybe it's like a spongebob thing like my eyes you know bald bald maybe it's one of those i don't know and truly we won't know ever so yeah i just wanted to share that just in case anybody was confused about that obviously at this point the police are involved so when izaki is essentially um within the what is it called why was he gonna say capacity that's not correct um Let's just say he got in contact with the police, all right? So when he got in contact with the police, he was basically able to lead them to where he was being held, but he wasn't able to provide any details about who had kidnapped him, much less the circumstances of why, other than the ransom note, of course. But basically they had nothing. No leads, nothing to really fill in the blanks about his kidnapping, other than the fact that he had escaped and that he was kidnapped a certain time and that they wanted money for him so there's really nothing that they can really go off of so in a way it's kind of like a dead end but the case isn't dropped any at all I should say I don't don't know why I was gonna say any less that does not make any sense but yeah however usually I shouldn't even say usually but I think the critical thinking part of a lot of us is thinking, well, obviously the kidnapping of Izaki failed. So, what's the likelihood of them kidnapping again if it's not a personal thing? If it's just a money thing, right? Maybe they'll just try some something else. You know, completely leave Izaki out of the equation. And I would say that's a pretty rational thought. And I just want to say that whatever rational thoughts you are currently having and trying to you know figure this out, I'm just gonna to try to say this in a nice way, but. Um, I would just leave that completely out because there is not really a good rational way to look at this because there are just so many different um aspects to this so shortly after this had occurred you know the kidnapping he escaped police get involved this entity this group these people that had kidnapped him didn't stop there they tried again except they took a very different approach so not long after this They would go on to demand about $480,000, US dollars, I should say, and they were sending threats, you know, to poison Glico candies with cyanide if they didn't receive the money, of course. Now, here's the thing you can think at this point, you know before the candy and stuff, you can think maybe it's like a personal thing, maybe they just want the money, they intend no harm. You know, obviously, Izaki wasn't harmed, he was unscathed. Sure, he had a couple of bruises, but one could argue that it was from breaking down the door, right? Still, not only are they now just going for the company, Izaki's completely left alone, despite that being his company, they're going after the company itself. They're still demanding money, but they changed how much money they wanted so that's particularly interesting don't you think they kind of went down from 7 million something to 48 or no 4,008 oh my god i'm butchering these numbers but let's just say they took a lesser you know approach so that's interesting is it not and only that now they're saying that they want to um like poison candies and who are like think of it who are the biggest consumers of candy children so naturally there's like a cause a really big cause for concern not just to the reputation of the company or you know damages or even just like monetary loss there's like the public to consider now you know so it's getting pretty serious and in addition to this several Glico headquarters were set on pro on property (laughs) their properties were set on fire so there's this like arson aspect to it right yeah it seems like it's escalating for sure at this point but i just also want to point this out it's like not entirely rare you know for stuff like this again these aren't rare occurrences but the fact they're kind of happening all together definitely is brings out a lot of questions i should say and let me, like I said earlier, there's going to be a lot of questions that won't be answered, unfortunately. So, something I want to point out is how the police are kind of handling this. Because, again, they don't have any leads thus far. So, again, I just want to add a little bit of perspective on this. And to start off, I just want to say that at this point in the 80s, the Japanese police are basically commended for being an effective unit. Meaning, they are very particular about the way they do their work they're very vigilant they're very effective and they work together and they're able to solve a lot of cases now in 1983 alone they actually solved 97.1 percent of murder cases and 55.3 percent of thefts compared to the u.s's 73.5 percent of murders and 17.3 percent of thefts naturally knowing this the police are kind of like freaking out because they have a reputation to uphold not only that they are being criticized by the newspapers. There's one in particular called Yumori. I think it's spelled Y-O-M-I-U-R-I. And they essentially ran an editorial saying, quote, We do not recall a case in which criminals have made such fools of the police, end quote. So, yeah, they are catching some heat, you know, despite them not really having a certain, like, lead You know, I think that just kind of makes it worse. Everybody thinks that they're lacking, but they really just don't have anything to go off of, you know? And I guess you can definitely like, if you really wanted to like, look at how they're handling this case and just criticize that, you're more than welcome to, of course, but that's just kind of what's going on. So it's embarrassing. They're being humbled by everyone and they're not feeling too hot about themselves, you know? So just keep that in mind as we go through this. So this takes us to April eighth, nineteen eighty four. The press would go on to receive one of the first of what would eventually be one hundred letters sent by the assumed perpetrators over the next year and a half. The contents of the later later, <laughs> the contents of the letter mainly contained taunts aimed at the police, going as far as deliberately even helping them. "Quote to the stupid police, are you idiots? What are you doing with so many people? If you were pros, you would catch us because you guys have such a high handicap." we're gonna give you some hints, end quote. So, yeah, if they were humbled before, they certainly are now, because that is a little embarrassing, if I do say so myself. But, yes, this is some parts of the letters, but I think the interesting part is this. So, in addition to the taunts, they would actually go on to debunk a couple theories swirling around the department and just the press in general, such as the kidnapping being an inside job or the owners of the warehouse where Izaki was being kept and escaped from, saying that they were involved somehow. And here's the thing. I don't know if this is stated like in the articles or by the police in a way that implies that they had evidence that supports what they're claiming in the letters or if the police kind of just took their word for it without evidence. So it's a little confusing to say the least and I think this is one of those details that's pretty important in the sense of um I don't even know especially I'm just gonna try to say this before I spoil anything but just we're gonna be looking at three different theories at the very end about what occurred who was responsible and I think this is one of those details that could have potentially um aided in these theories now is it the most important thing in the world know but it definitely would have added some context some much needed context if i do say so myself now at this point the letters are basically confirming that they are a group that they are a united group of people we don't know how many people are involved but they do start referring to themselves as a group so at this point there are a lot of critics apart from the press of course and they are now trying to categorize these um people these perpetrators this group as gekijo hanzai or crimes as um is it i have it written as crimes as theater but i'm pretty sure i meant as crimes of theater now the letters often provided the authorities with random details such as certain gates used to enter the factory you know when they set it on fire or the model of the typewriter they were writing on so These are details, sure, they're important, they could make or break a case, but in this particular instance, they're kind of just details that don't really have an impact, you know, they can't really track anything, anyone at this point, because they don't have that physical evidence, sure, they can go look at the, at the gate they use, but that's all it is, it's a gate they use, you know, DNA isn't super big at this point, so, and surveillance, you know, like cameras and stuff isn't really huge either, so much to the dismay of the police there's no clues no leads by june 1984 the criminals had already began to refer to themselves as the monster with the 21 faces which is a nod to a 1936 children's story by japanese writer idogawa rampo titled the mystery man with the 20 faces so this story is about a thief and the only way i can really describe this story is or this thief by is just simply stating that the thief is particularly known for his disguises stating that he could quite literally be anyone so i'm gonna read to you an excerpt from the story that seemed pretty interesting to not just the police but also just to the rest of society and i want you to keep in mind what happened with glico quote Up until now, no matter how many police have been called up, they haven't been able to stop this dreadful gang. There is one particularly strange feature of this gang. When they have set their sights on one particular object or artifact without fail, they will send a letter of warning announcing their intentions, the date, place, and object of the planned crime. Even though they're criminals, perhaps, they don't want to engage in an unfair battle or perhaps they want to show that no matter how many precautions are taken, they can still commit the crime with their great skill, end quote. I think it's pretty obvious why this quote is particularly interesting to the police, you know? I think it pertains very well to this group and it says a lot about this group, their intentions, and also just kind of speaks for how they want to per- be perceived in media. So yeah, it's, it's a lot and it's interesting it's definitely giving like um i can't even oh my god what's the name of that one tv show okay that's not important but this takes us to september 1984 and we now know you know morinaga i choose and this is all about morinaga and company because this japanese company started to receive extortion letters threatening them with unspecified actions if they did not receive 400 wait hold on yeah four hundred ten thousand dollars, us dollars and according to the police morinaga never actually sent any payments or had any intention to send the payments so there wasn't really anything that happened necessarily until october 8th when a japanese newspaper received the following letter quote to moms throughout Japan, in autumn, when appetites are strong, sweets are really delicious. When you think sweets, no matter what you say, it's Morinaga. We've added some special flavor. The flavor of potassium cyanide. It is a little bitter. It won't cause tooth, dooth? Oh my gosh. It won't cause tooth decay. So buy the sweets for your kids. We've attached a notice on these bitter sweets that they contain poison. We've put 20 boxes in stores from Hakata to Tokyo, end quote. Now, extremely alarming, right? That shit is crazy. You know, your kids are going to get attacked and now your reputation is about to be attacked and everyone's going to be fucking suffering and up in arms, you know? So naturally, that very same day when that letter came out, packages of candy and various other snacks were found in grocery stores throughout Japan with labels, um, I should say typed labels attached to them reading, Danger, Cyanide. Now, not all of the labeled packages were found to contain cyanide. At least one had enough to kill someone. But there wasn't enough of the cyanide um, candies to really do some really, really big damage. And they were labeled too. So, yeah, I think that's interesting, you know, that they labeled them. I think it says a lot about their character, but at the same time, it doesn't say enough. And it's kind of scary at the same time with all the holes in the story. But, yeah so the letter warning of the tainted sweets however said that the next time there would be 30 boxes and that they would not be labeled so yeah it's it's getting pretty serious if it wasn't serious before of course but it's causing a lot of panic for moms parents authorities press literally everyone's freaked out you know and i think it's it's cause for concern for obvious reasons and for the next two weekends, about 40,000 officers staked out grocery stores across the count, not county, country. However, this resulted in nothing, appearing that the group did not go through with their latest threat. So, investigators, however, did find footage from October 7th showing a suspect with permed hair, glasses, and a baseball hat placing something on a shelf Where the poison candy was later found unfortunately the camera quality was pretty shitty and the security tapes had not been changed changed um yikes that was really bad (laughs) had not been changed for over a year meaning the quality of the image wasn't great images of this man known as video no otoko or video man were released to the public but nobody really identified him and if they did identify him It was just another dead end. Not long after this, video footage of some of the phone calls attempting to extort money, which were purposely placed by the group, were released to the public. Now, much to everyone's shock, the voices on the tapes were actually of a woman and a child. That same child would go on to relay instructions about where to leave money, quote, behind the seat of the bus stop bench, end quote. While the phone recordings never resulted in any arrests, it did provoke the public to reconsider just who the monster with 21 faces could be. Now, I'm a little confused about this information because there's no further details about if this woman and her child were found at any point, interviewed, if anybody identified them. Like I just straight up don't know what came of this information and... It's video footage too, so that's like I don't know, maybe it was blurry, maybe it was like really messy or messed up footage and they just couldn't identify anyone. Maybe they had their faces blurred. I can't vouch for anything, truly. Now, this takes us to March nineteen eighty five, a just one year after the first kidnapping. In total, there was thirty one food and candy companies that had been harassed and again by that same entity the man or no the monster with 21 faces and japan's authorities were still extremely dumbfounded by the case they literally had so many dead ends it's kind of comical at this point point. and yet there were very few companies that were actually successfully extorted and pulled together the money that they demanded so either there was a certain cut they didn't fully pay it they paid the full never got bothered again Again, I don't know those details, and I think they're really important, but it's okay. Anyway, the group would actually never show up to pick up the money, however, if these companies um, agreed to drop off money, because the police would actually be waiting for them. Now, allegedly, they weren't supposed to know that, except there was an instance where the group did instruct Glico representatives to wait for a phone call at a truck stop, and of course, plainclothes policemen went instead. said, but no one ever came. The next letter after this event from the Monster with 21 Faces read, quote, So you guys thought you could fool us, dressed up in your nice businessman blue suits, acting like salarymen, but we could tell immediately, those shifty eyes gave you away, end quote. So, either they're really good at reading body language or someone told them. That's what that tells me. Now, no matter what the police came up with, like, they, they came up with so many different plans, so many different strategies. It, in the end, it didn't pay off. It didn't matter. Because the monster with 21 faces seemed to be a step ahead, if not 10 steps ahead. And I just think that's kind of, like, in a way, a clue in itself. And I they did think this to be a clue. But the thing is, is that there was just, like, how do you even begin to not only relay this information to your officers because i would think it oh shit like maybe it's one of the officers there's like a rat you know but like how do you even like begin to investigate that because you genuinely could not trust anyone at that point you know so it's worth noting again that the group never really received any of the money because they were just like hesitant they knew the police were coming They just didn't really need the money, they just just wanted drama maybe, we don't really know. But yeah, they never got the money that they demanded at any point. So, this takes us to August 12th, 1985, a year and a half after they first kidnapped um, Mr. Candyman from his bathtub. Now, the monster with 21 faces would send their last letter announcing that they would stop. But by this time, according to Japan's National Police Agency, authorities had received over 28,000 tips and had used over 130,000 police officers so what does this mean it stops it just completely stops there is no monster with 21 faces after this so just to give a small recap they didn't get any of the money they demanded They did wreak a little havoc. You know, they did have just maybe one, two, three pieces of candy that actually did contain enough cyanide to kill a person or a child, more specifically. And they had burned some properties. They had harassed 31 companies. And they were successful. You know, in the end, they were successful. They were never caught. But the thing is, you can't really look at it as a completely successful story. If you're looking at the monetary gain. There was no monetary gain. The only gain that they had was exposure, really. So it's a little confusing. Definitely motive is clear because they stated it, but at the same time, like they didn't really gain anything other than the attention. Maybe that was their end game, you know, maybe that's exactly what they wanted. But at the end of the day, the police were made fools. 100 percent they were very humbled for almost two years and with the reputation they had i think it did do a little bit of damage you know especially once it involved the public safety yeah it's a whole thing and now we're gonna look at some theories about what the hell just happened this first theory that we are looking at revolves around the idea that the monster with 21 faces is essentially an inside job and that Karushisa Izaki was actually in on it from the start. And this theory primarily stems from the popular idea, or I should say disbelief, of Mr. Izaki being able to escape from his kidnappers. And this brings us back to when I was describing how he got out. And the thing is, is that there was no one to verify exactly how this occurred. There was no one around to really say that this was or wasn't true and of course this led to a lot of people being suspicious but in addition to that people also found it suspicious that morinaga's candy was poisoned while glucose was only threatened to be now of course these two things put together this causes a lot of concern and a lot of doubt which i think is you know it's pretty reasonable i would say however the thing is is that Glico's business was actually really deeply affected by the threats, despite not actually being poisoned with cyanide. More specifically, after the Monster with 21 Faces publicly threatened to poison the Glico candy, which of course prompted Glico products to be pulled from shelves, and that led to temporarily shutting down production and laying off two thirds of their part time employees. So, really, they got the bitter end of the deal. They just off, not only did they, you know, lose a lot of sales monetary um i was gonna say monetary value i guess yeah i guess you could say that they lost a lot of um, money opportunities but the reputation was also damaged because shortly after this it was a very difficult thing for the public to trust this company because it's not just oh you know this poor company that is being you know extorted it's not just that it's like how did you allow people to get into your company during your production process you know and insert these candies you know there's a really big distrust and that of course affected the company overall so while i do think the things that people are concerned about have value to them overall there's just no evidence to support that Because again, there's just, they don't really gain anything from this. This takes us to our second theory. And that is that the monster with 21 faces was someone seeking revenge on Japan's food companies. Now, here's a little bit of a history thing that happens with this theory. So, nearly 30 years before the group sent their first letter, around the mid-1950s, a stabilizing agent in Morinaga produced dry milk, which contained arsenic. By June 1956, over 12,000 infants had been injured and 138 had died. So, first and foremost, Morinaga did reach a settlement with the families of the affected infants, but a report from 1969 showed that the survivors continued to suffer ailments, related ailments. By the time the monster with 21 faces began its reign of terror, the victims of the dry milk incident would have been about 30 or so, around that age, and... The theory would go on to say that perhaps they were ready to seek revenge on the company that made their early years so difficult. This theory, however, doesn't really account why the group targeted the entire industry instead of just targeting Morinaga, since that is where everything kind of um, came about and the reason why they were hurt and why so many infants died and the people that were later affected in terms of illness, you know, so yeah, it's definitely a theory. There's some substance there, you know, the motive. But again, it doesn't really explain the 31 other companies that were involved. So this takes us to our very last theory, if we can call it that. And it's about a man named Manabu Miyazaki. And the theory goes that he is somehow involved in all of this. Now, this takes us to November 1984. After the cyanide confection showed up, a 100 million yen were said to be turned over to the criminals in Kyoto. Police surveillancing the drop-off spotted a suspicious fox-eyed man and gave chase. The suspects successfully, successfully evaded his capture. However, the police did manage to find the stolen car he had been driving, complete with a police scanner inside. This takes us to January 1985, where authorities released a sketch of this fox-eyed man, which would lead to the identification of Manabu Miyazaki. The sketch apparently bared so much resemblance to Miyazaki that his own mother believed it was him. Which, side note, the mother was, in fact, from Osaka. Miyazaki is actually the son of a Yakuza boss and a well-known, um, hmm figure in organized um, crime and organized anti-police displays in college and had already been arrested a couple times so there's a record on this guy well on the surface it appeared that the police had finally made a break in the case charges were never brought against miyazaki for the kidnapping and extortion this was due to a rock solid alibi and no hard evidence to tie him to the case Interestingly enough, Miyazaki would go on to write a memoir detailing his life of crime. The book was released shortly after the statues of limitation for the man with 21 faces expired. The cover was the police sketch that was released while trying to track Miyazaki down. Again, the whole fox-eyed man sketch. Yeah, that sketch. And although he confessed to other crimes in the book, Miyazaki never mentioned any involvement in the 21 faces spree if miyazaki was on his way to pick up the extended or the extorted 100 million yen when the police gave chase he did eventually get his money the book went on to earn the known criminal over 100 million yen over 741 million u.s dollars essentially so where does that leave us (laughs) a dead end and yeah it really sucks that there is like no definitive answer there's no true conclusion motive you know even end goal because they didn't like i said they didn't get any of the money that they asked for so it's like why go through all of this you know but at the end sure nobody was really hurt except for the employees that got laid off you know and the properties that were lost but damn it feels like i'm tired <laughs> you know um yeah like i said this is not a satisfying ending these theories sure have some substance and maybe the reality is that maybe there's a little bit of everything you know and i'm pretty sure i didn't cover all the theories but i'm just covering or i covered mainly the ones that are the most talked about there are a couple other theories that talk about um of course inside job in the police station within the companies themselves glico morinaga and some of the other companies you know that were trying to be extorted and like i said there's no definitive conclusion i think it's really still up to debate about what happened i mean i went on reddit same thing nobody's really for sure for sure but there's definitely some leads on there can't confirm nor deny if you're curious go look if you're not completely fine and valid so this takes us to the very end of this episode and i'm so sorry if you feel empty or just completely unsatisfied with the ending i apologize but at the same time i don't because this is just something that happens there isn't always an answer at the end especially in crime even when things are solved there's still so many remaining questions that should be answered and yet they aren't and this is one of those things despite there being no answers at all but yeah it's something interesting worth thinking about i think and let me know what your favorite haichu flavors are or pocky flavors you know pocky is owned by glico so i'm not sure if i said that But I take full responsibility if I didn't. So, yeah. Thank you for listening and stay safe out there. Peace.